Today's Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 4, and can be found on page number 637 of the Church Bibles. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, and can be found on page 1154 of the Church Bibles. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to each one of you. Again, uh, you'll notice that my voice sounds like I have been uh, at a football match shouting. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the fact. That would have been cool. But again, it is hazelnut pollen, which I and hazelnut do not get along, particularly at this time of the year. So I don't think I'm contagious, but just to tell you what is happening here. Now, um, but when I walked in, my voice was so bad, I had at least two volunteers to come and preach for me. <laughs> so I didn't know if they were on their way up to the pulpit at the moment or not, but uh, I deeply appreciated that sense of support. Um, today, we want to welcome also those who are joining us on Zoom Thank you for taking and making that effort to be a part of the church service, even if you're traveling or there are reasons that you're not able to come. But of course, we'd love to have you when that is possible. Now, this morning, I want to begin a short sermon series, three sermons from the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And as we look at this chapter, many have heard of it, of course it is commonly called or named the chapter of love. And any of us who have gone to church weddings, particularly if you've gone more than just one or two, you are probably going to have read during that ceremony some of the verses that come out of this chapter. And so we want to look at that, but if we look at the chapter as a whole, the chapter is not on its own in the Bible. The chapter, logically, of course, is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Corinthians 14. And very frequently, we as Christians have pulled chapter 13 out because we like the message of love, and we've left the other because it is a challenge. Now, in that, 
Let me just mention to you that sometimes people who are skeptical of the way that the Bible is written will say, well, look, chapter 12 is all about the abilities and the gifts and the way God works in our lives that we could be functioning and being a part of the church of God, the body of Christ, as it's going to be mentioned. And then chapter 14 picks that same thing up, but in chapter 13, it's all about love. And so the very skeptical people say, well, I think that possibly it was just put in. And I would say, I personally believe, no, 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 no. It is the inspiration of God writing through Paul. And actually, chapter 13 is literally the cement, the adhesive that holds together chapter 12 and 14. That enables us as Christians to live, to work, and to function as a church together. Love. And to do this, let me just give you a brief summary. I am smiling in my, I was smiling in my heart, and it got so big in my heart it came onto my face. Because, you see, immediately my mind, as I said, let me give you a brief summary of chapter 12. I could, in my mind, hear several of you saying, oh no, Pastor Dennis is not brief on anything. How in the world could he promise us that? Well, let's try again. I only have six more sermons, so hopefully I get it down by that time. Um, but chapter 12, listen to what he says as he begins, Paul. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, then listen, I do not want you uninformed. So this is a key concept. I do not want you uninformed, and that you, were, you know that when you were pagans, somehow... Other, others, you were influenced by them and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know. So look, he said, I won't, don't want you to be uninformed, but I want you to know. And then as you go on, I think actually to understand chapters 12, 13, and 14, these next three verses, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6, are absolutely essential. Listen to what he says. There are different kinds of gifts, but one, the same Spirit, distributes them. And you'll notice as he writes these verses, he's going to use a pattern as he writes. There is this, but one and the same. Spirit, Lord, God. Calling them to believe and understand that. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service, so there are different gifts, there's different ways that we serve in the church, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the, all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And then the next paragraph, he's going to identify some of those spiritual giftings, but the half of that chapter is given to this, the remaining half of the chapter is given to this example or illustration he said this should function just like a body and there are different gifts given by God's spirit there are different services there are different workings that we have our function and our role and our gifting of God he says but they're like a body and he said you have an eye so you can see 
But you also have ears so one can hear. We have hands so we can reach and touch and feel. We have feet so we can walk. And then he goes on to this incredible argumentation where he says, now, if your eye said, the only good part is seeing, I don't need ears, I don't need a mouth, what kind of body would that be? And then he applies it to us as a church and goes on and talks about that evidently in Corinth. They must have kind of been... Austrians have a lovely word, which I don't think there is an equivalent, meaningful word in English for it. Sie haben einander geschimpft. Do you say that in Swiss? Probably not from the pulpit. But I think it's so descriptive. You see, they said, I've got this. Or he or she doesn't. And they separated themselves. And or they didn't function as the way they should. And so then he goes at the close that says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God is placed in the church and then he lists these gifts. But he then at the end he says, do all have the same one? No. Listen to what he says in verse 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Okay. He closes that chapter, I will show you a more excellent way. Listen to chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So what is he saying? He closes chapter 15, I will show you a more excellent way. Chapter 14, 1, the way of love. It flows from one to the other, which means then chapter 13 contains these spiritual truths to help us function as the body of Christ with love. Now listen to what he says in verse, what was read to us at these first three verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I am nothing. In this, all of a sudden, Paul has changed the way he writes. And before he's talking about you and body and gift and part of the body of Christ. And all of a sudden he goes to I. He's using himself as a personal example. In these three verses, the word I repeats itself nine times. He wants to come and say, I am the example. I'm telling you this from my own personal life. And you see what he says. And he also uses that same structure. He says, if I do this, and if not having love, then I am this. If I do this, but I do not have love, I am this. And he repeats that structure three times. Now, in it, what we find that he repeats again and again, if I do not have love, so then we need to look at it and say, well, 
Evidently, the most important thing is our understanding of the point there of love. What is love? What is he talking about? And of course, we could go on for the next five minutes at least talking about, you know, in Greek, there's at least four common and maybe up to six different words, specific words used for love. The one he's writing and using here is agape or the idea of divine love or divine will and purpose. It's the way God would do it. And so he is repeating that again and again. But we said, what then is love? Listen to what John writes in 1 John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you catch what he's saying? Just as Paul is writing Corinthians, said, if I do this, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. In other words, in his own experience, he, he, now John is telling us, but this love is from God and is God. And then he goes on and he goes further. In verse 9, he gives a demonstration of love. He writes this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is a demonstration when we ask, okay, what's love then? We understand it's God, but it's hard in my mind and in my heart to comprehend God. So what is it? Put it in terms, show me, tell me, explain to me. He does, and he says, this is a demonstration where God the Father sent his son. Well, yes, that's what we're going to celebrate in Easter in just a few moments again. The death and resurrection of that son. But you see, Paul takes this up again in Ephesians chapter 5. When he talks to husbands. He uses this same terminology. He uses the very same word. And he says, husbands, love your wives. In the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for them or her. What he's saying is we expect, we say the only way it works is when we love in the way that God loved us. And the expectation, of course, is it says there that Jesus gave his life for us. Wow, what a relationship when you're convinced that the other person loves you at such a level they would gladly give their lives for you. So he goes on and he gives this demonstration or illustration of love but then in verse 10 he defines love this is love not that we have loved God but he has loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for us and so this is that truth but then it comes down this is how we live in him no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us this is the principle. You see, God living in us. 
And so Paul is saying, even if I have this great ability to speak or to do this, and I do not have the very essence of God living in me, then instead of a great powerful speech, what it is is a dong and a ding. And that's all it is. That's all it is. In our relationships, when maybe we really got the point and we're really getting home, this is the truth that they, he or she or whomever needs to hear, all of a sudden, do you ever sense instead of being the truth communicated in love, it's a dong and a ding and they turn away? Maybe at that moment, we need to look carefully at what God has said to Paul here. If I do that, then the second one, he goes on and he says again to us, he says, and if I have, and he talks about this incredible gift. It sounds almost like Daniel. He says, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. He knows. And then I have a faith that can move mountains. I really know the truth, but I don't have love. He says, I am nothing. You see, if this living of God inside that transforms and moves in that way is not happening, then what is he going to say and what is going to happen with him there? It's an amazing truth that he brings to us. You know, it's like this. If we have these gifts, if we have these abilities, and God, we see God working through us, but it comes a moment when we don't allow God to do the work in and through us. Let me read this verse from Ephesians for you. From chapter 4, verse 20. It says that, however, this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. Understand what he said? He said he's just referred to them in a way that they were living their lives. He said that is not what you have learned when you learned and were taught about the truth of in Christ. And then he goes on and he says in the next verse, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, God does that work in our lives and he puts his spirit in us and we live. But there can come moments when all of a sudden we realize, I am doing this, I am functioning this, but it's not moving as if God was there. Well, maybe what we need to do at that moment is examine and say, is there something where we are not putting off, we are not putting on the newness that is in Christ and allowing him to move in our hearts and lives. Now, this can happen with spiritual people. It can happen with all of us as we are moving and growing in our spirit. Uh, one of the great men's in the foundation series that we did is Moses. Now, some of you will think it's a bit odd, but he had the staff. Remember the staff of Moses? It's not the same as a spiritual gift. I realize that. I'm not trying to make something out of that. But 
But notice how he used that. God said to him, what's in your hand, Moses? He said, a staff. And then God said, throw it on the ground, Moses. He threw it on the ground. What happened? It became a serpent. If you read that carefully, I identify fully with Moses. He said, then God said, uh, pick him up by the tail. See, at first when it came, a serpent, he ran away. Have you ever, well, this is such a lovely country. Um, you probably don't have <clears throat> equivalent of what, where part of the state I grew up in has many, many rattlesnakes. And the problem with them, they're poisonous. And you see, the reason he ran away from the serpent is it was poisonous. And then God asked him to pick it up by the tail. Do you ever know what happens if you pick up a poisonous serpent by the tail? Yeah, my mother-in-law, who built a children's camp that is on 80 acres outside of San Diego, as is still going on today, has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of kids. But I remember she would run around that campground and capture rattlesnakes. She'd take a forked twig, and she'd put them, pin them to the ground, and then she'd very carefully grab them just behind the head, and then she'd take them wherever and put them in the snake uh, area. She never once picked them up by the tail. That's a death assignment. What is it? You see, he had to trust God. He picked it up. And of course, it was a powerful thing because then that serpent ate the serpents of the staffs that were coming out from the magicians. And then you find the next moment when it uh, is used again. Sometimes when he's going to have a plague, he lifts his staff and God works through it. And then when they come to go across the Red Sea, he picks up that staff and God causes the water to part and they walk through on dry ground. And then as they're wandering across the wilderness, the people are murmuring, we don't have any water to drink and God sends him to a rock, a dry big rock and he takes that staff and goes bam and water comes out. But there's a second time. When God says, now go this next time and speak to the rock. And what he does, if you read that account in the book of Numbers, you will find that he comes and he is so frustrated with these people, so really agitated. He says to them something like this, do I, get the point? How many times did Paul say I in these three verses? Do I have to do this for you again? He didn't do it for them the first time, you see. God did it. And he takes, rather than speaking to the rock to show that God himself does it, he smacks the rock twice. Now the power that somehow God had put in the staff, the water came. But Moses had to account for that before God. And like Paul is saying, even if I have the gift that I can understand every mystery. And I have all knowledge. And I even have faith in the sense that I could say to this mountain, go, and it's going to go. He says, but I don't have love. I'm not allowing the life of God to be living in me so much that it changes and conforms me. He says, I am nothing. And then, of course, the third one, he says... And if I would give all my goods to feed the poor. And I would even offer my body or sacrifice, put it in a place of discipline 
where then I could say it's great. He says, but have not love. He says, then it profits me absolutely nothing. So again and again, he brings us back to this concept of the love of God that has to be there and working in and through us. You know, and we look at that and we think, well, how does that work? Well, the way that we really find it working is like in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, we have received a message talking about from Christ. And the message is, he says, I declare to you that God is light. And then he goes on and says, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we claim to be, have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. You see, this concept of saying we are with God, we're in God, well, then the telltale fruit must be love. And God loving through us, God loving in us, God changing us. And hey, Pastor Dennis doesn't get this right all the time. No. But I know what it says, and I know the promise of God is his wanting to live in us. And it says, and as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This continual walk and movement of God in our hearts and lives. And as he says in this last verse 3, and if I give all that away, you see the motions, the actions are absolutely correct. But the heart is not. I have not love. Then he says it profits me nothing. In Romans chapter 12, Paul also writes, it's very similar, it's easy to remember, 1 Corinthians 12 is about gifts and your role in the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, same number of chapter, also covers to a certain degree the same ideas. But remember how he begins chapter 12 when we're considering we, we give it and we sacrifice ourselves and yet at the end of doing that we sense we haven't profited ourselves a bit. Therefore I urge you, brethren, and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For that is your proper worship. It's not simply giving everything. That might be what God asks. It isn't just simply putting ourselves in disciplines. That could be what God specifically asks you to do. But what he's saying is we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. And then he goes on and continues. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. I like the way Philip's translation has put that together. Don't allow the world to push you into its mold. But then it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, I want to tell you, I find the end of this verse, what I've been doing in the last months when I have my quiet time with God in the day, 
I've actually gone through reading, of course, but I've also gone through literally writing the prayers. And I find this when I pray for my kids and I pray for my grandkids and I pray for different ones of you, I use that verse. I don't want you to only know the good. I don't want you to only know the acceptable. I want you to experience the perfect will of God for your lives. And he says the way that happens is we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. And we allow that transformation. I mentioned that to you before. That in Greek is the word metamorpho, from which we get metamorphosis. You begin a caterpillar. Isn't it an odd analogy or example? Don't let the world press you into its mold. And what does a caterpillar do? It goes and weaves a web. It weaves its own cocoon. And it, in that side, inside that pressure can place, it then transforms into a butterfly. The work and the life of God in his people. So what does he say in these verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? You see, this one he's used himself as an example I'm guessing there was a day when in his own life Paul said, you know, I used to be able to convince everybody by this gift I had in myself. But there was a moment when the way of love, God came. And I used to know every knowledge. He could probably quote almost every Bible verse that we've ever read. But there came a day when God came. And I have given myself and I have done this. But he says, unless God has my heart. Remember that tremendous children's message? Proverbs says, love and righteousness. Bind them around your neck. Why do you put that there? Anything you put around your neck is so that you and everybody else sees it. I just ask us as a church today, could we do that with this sense of God loving through us? Bind it around our neck that everyone experiences the reality of God in us. But then he also says, just like in the New Covenant, where the New Covenant, he says, and I'll put my law on your mind. I will write it on your heart. Here he also says, now you write this on your heart. This is the way I will live my life. God, might you live and love through me. And I believe if we do that, what we will find is our family relationships will change. Our work relationships will change. And ultimately, our church will reflect the God we worship. May God help us to love. Now, I have two more sermons on 1 Corinthians 13. And the others are much gentler. But you know, love is not only an emotion. Love is a choice. And Paul begins by pointing out to us the choice. May God help us to have love. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time together. Thank you for your word which instructs us not only how we come to Christ, but how we live in Christ. 
And Lord, one of the overwhelming and predominant characteristics is love. Because God, you yourself, you are love. And you live in us, Lord. You don't just love us, but you live in us. Therefore, that love, your love, should come out and work its way through our lives that you love one another through us. And Lord, we're very open and we just confess we don't get that right. And we ask you in the name of Jesus to continue to work in us that we might truly have favor with God and with our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.